Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. This is Mr. Nice, and you are listening to The Griffin Rundown, a weekly podcast for HCA. I hope that you're listening together on the way to school this morning. Today, this week, on The Griffin Rundown, the interview at the end is with Davies Owens. If you recognize that name, that's because you've probably listened to Basecamp Live podcast before. Davies is a longtime head of school at Classical Christian Schools and um, has been on national boards and was the executive director of one of the main classical Christian school organizations in our country. So Davies is on today to talk about technology tips. So mom and dad, uh, technology tips for parents. So mom and dad, you're going to want to stay through the end for that. I can guarantee it. And then we'll do some upcoming events at Heritage, some calendar events. Uh, I'll give a charter update. And then there's a new segment this week. I've got on Mrs. Wilsey, and this is an our inaugural stab at a new segment called A Good Look at a Great Book. Uh, so stay on for that. And then I'll give a construction update and, of course, a joke of the week. So let's begin with the calendar items. Tomorrow, the 21st, is Early Childhood Preview Day in Bainbridge. Last opportunity for you to let friends and family know to uh, go to our website and register to come and check out uh, our Early Childhood Program at the Bainbridge campus. And then March 1st is early dismissal. Heritage is hosting the Orators Forum this year at the Peninsula campus on the 1st at 1.30. So all students will be dismissed at 11.30 Friday, March 1st, as uh, we welcome our own students who, who received a Cicero uh, in speech meet, and, and then also the students who scored similarly from a few other schools. On Friday, March 15th from 7 to 9 p.m., Heritage will host our second annual staff versus upper school students game night, which will be at the Peninsula campus. All students are invited to come and cheer on their friends, their family, and their favorite teachers or administrators uh, as the upper school students take on the Heritage staff in various sports and games. And this is a fundraiser for the upcoming 7th and 8th grade trip to Washington, D.C., so there will be concessions available, uh, intermission games for the younger students who may be in attendance just to watch and purchase, partake in the fun. Tickets will be for donations only. April 8th will be an early dismissal day because of the rare solar eclipse. School will dismiss at noon. There will be no aftercare provided that day. As you may be aware, if you're watching the local news, we are directly in the path of this eclipse, um, which will provide a special opportunity to view it. Um, but it's also going to cause logistical concerns for the afternoon. If, if you're again, if you're watching the news, they're projecting that um, hundreds of thousands of people will be descending on our area right here because we are in the direct path for a full eclipse. And and of course, wouldn't you know? I think it's scheduled to begin at the full eclipse at 3:08 which is right in the middle of dismissal. So uh, therefore, we're having early dismissal that day. Don't forget the weekly prayer times, Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. and Wednesdays at 1230. See the newsletter for those links. It is a great time of praying together with you and for our school, seeking the Lord's blessing and his help on uh, our students, uh, our children, and our school. 
Again, I want to say thank you to the parents that were have been coming out to uh, the work days at the Pepper Pike campus. Again, keep your eyes tuned to the newsletters for more upcoming dates and times and opportunities to serve. Uh, I was there a few Saturdays ago and there were 35 heritage parents and grandparents. Uh, what a blessing it was. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I think we all know this, but boy, working uh, outside in the lawn and doing some other things inside for three hours doesn't feel like a burden when you're serving. It's, it feels a little bit different than when uh, the drudgery of maybe doing it at, at your own home, but uh, what a blessing it is to serve. The hymn this week is, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Again, uh, as always, I encourage you, find a version, uh, learn the lyrics, sing them in the car, sing them at the dinner table, and, and talk about the great lyrics that I hope are pointing us back to the word and to the deeper truths of Jesus as we sing together, my hope is built on nothing less. A brief update on the charter. I just want to answer the question, how will the school benefit from receiving a charter from the state of Ohio? And, and just as a lead into this, I want to remind you, this does not mean that we are a charter school, as, as many would know it. Uh, reminder that uh, a charter school is is still a public school. Um, Heritage is not transitioning to become a public school, obviously, um, but rather we will be chartered. Think of um, you know receiving the the early colonies in New England receiving a charter from the crown. Um, think of it in in that sense. Um, so there are we will maintain our private status. We can still hire as we like. We can still admit as we like. Uh, we can still choose curriculum as we like. Um, as a charter school. So uh, to answer the question then, how will our school benefit from the charter? Our school will benefit in several ways, uh, just to name a couple, and there are more. Uh, one is uh, we'll have a state-recognized diploma for the graduates, just as you hear us talk about all the time. Uh, our end goal is not college acceptance, but we know that many, many, many a strong percentage of our students will choose to go on to college. And so that will be a benefit that they'll have a, a state recognized diploma, uh, understanding that many of our students will end up at, at public universities. Uh, another benefit is uh, for the families explicitly that you'll be avail you'll be, uh, you'll have the uh, opportunity to apply for the Ed Choice Scholarship. And I know you all know that, and, and I'm sure that's a motivating factor for many of you as, as you cheer on heritage in, in this process of becoming chartered. Um, it also opens up more opportunities for the school in, in various opportunities for grants with safety and security. And, and it also opens up more opportunities to work with families, with students who, who might need more help in the classroom. So this actually provides many opportunities for the school to receive some resources there to meet the needs of families whose students uh, might need extra help in their studies and in the classroom. And then a last one, which I know you're aware of and we've talked about recently, but uh, in some cases, the, the local district may provide transportation to you, to uh, the campus where your children attend. And in many cases also, if the school, if the local district doesn't provide transportation, uh, they may provide you payment in lieu of uh, the transportation, which is just a great thing. Uh, again, you can't apply for that um, until we have the charter done. So um, 
stay tuned and, and I wouldn't press your, your school district on it yet, but you will be able to do that when the charter is complete. So those are some of the benefits of the charter and, and we're thankful for those things for the school and for all that it will mean for you and for your children. Well, today I'm very excited to be introducing a new quick segment that we're going to try to rope in every week. And, and this segment is called A Good Look at a Great Book. And today, as our first ever participant uh, in A Good Look at a Great Book, is one of our teachers in the Peninsula campus who teaches all sorts of things. But this is Mrs. Wilsey. Mrs. Wilsey, can you greet everyone on the Griffin Rundown? Hello, everyone. Hello, Mrs. Wilsey. Thank you for joining us today. I am very happy to be here. <laughs> I, and I'm happy that you're here, too. Mrs. <laughs> Wilsey, you teach a whole slew of things. You've taught various things for Heritage, but what do you yes. teach currently? Currently, I am teaching sixth grade history, seventh and eighth grade logic, and eighth grade algebra one. Perfect. And and Mrs. Wilsey is one of those rare and, and uh, unique birds who thrives in teaching um, our middle school, logic school age kids. I think she's made for it and, and does exceptionally well at relating to and understanding um, logic school age kids. So Mrs. Wilsey, very happy that uh, you're in this seat. And when she says she teaches history, uh, I'm actually staring at her right now and she's wearing her diamond studded uh, George Washington earrings mm -hmm. uh, as as we speak. Are those real diamonds, Mrs. Wilsey? Oh, I wish, okay. but no. <laughs> uh, they are not. All right. Well, hey, good luck at a great book. So this is intended just to be a two-minute segment here, but we're introducing it. So Mrs. Wilsey, would you just tell us a little bit about what is, quick and, quick and easy, what is the sixth grade history curriculum cover? We start, we pick up where fifth grade leaves off after the Reformation, and they touch on the beginning of the age of discovery. And so we pick up there with the um, early explorers, settling of the new world, the Western Hemisphere, and we try to get all the way through modern time, the wars in the Middle East, uh, all the way through 9-11, hmm. um, as as close to that as we can. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's not a little bit of time to cover. No, no, no. No, it's and not. a lot happened during that. Time. <laughs> Quite a bit happened. The the whole uh, discovery and and rise of our nation. Right. Yeah, that's good. Right. Um, all right. Well, why I, I've heard you talk about the particular main text that you use several times. I know it's Biblioplan is is the publisher. What? Why do you love? this textbook so much or the texts? Sure. Yeah. This is actually the probably fourth different U.S. curriculum, U.S. history curriculum I've taught over the years. And this is by far my favorite because we aren't just looking at what did America do? What did the United States do in the context of our own tiny little place? But they teach it to us in the context of the entire world. So we're looking at when the uh, original colonies were being discovered and founded, what was going on in Europe? What was influencing those discoveries and those people moving over? And then all the way through the modern era, all the wars were involved in, we're looking at Europe and Africa and the Far East and, and just how does that tie together to what's going on in our own country? So that's a unique piece that I have not experienced in other curriculums. That's good. Uh, and and hopefully gives our, our students 
um, not just an appreciation and a love for our own country, but also a respect and, and appreciation for the world around that's been influencing us, right? Oh, yeah. And it's also a really exciting time uh, in sixth grade history because they've never studied the modern era. They've, they've, we get to finish the timeline for the first time. So they're, it, it really truly is the grammar stage of the modern era of history. Mm. So we're, it, it's new and fresh and exciting. And a lot of it is stuff they've heard of, but they don't really know. So Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, so what are they studying now? Where, where are you up to? We just finished our unit on the Civil War. So now we're talking more about adding states. Uh, what, what did post-war the United States look like? How do we reconstruct that? And also expansion westward uh, in tons of technology advancements, railroads, telegraphs, hmm. modes of communication, and how that influences the, the spread and uh, westward expansion. Westward expansion, yeah. 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 It's really, it's funny. I, I listened to some Christian news sites that I've referenced before on the Griffin rundown. And um, is it uh, the, the 14th amendment right now that's coming up quite a bit that came out of, I think mm-hmm. right after the civil war yeah, yeah. when they were trying to make 13, sure that, 14, 15, yeah. yeah, trying mm-hmm. to make sure that um, the, the insurrectionists couldn't run for public office. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, and it's amazing how uh, the history right after the civil war is very oh. much, uh, top of mind yeah. today in our mm-hmm. own context. For sure. Um, yeah, we just spent a lot of time looking at all that. Yeah, neat. <laughs> yep. It is pertinent. Yep. Um, hey, what's the colonial ball? Oh, it's the best part of sixth grade, <laughs> hands down. We tie together with their literature and their composition classes. They read Johnny Tremaine. They do a research paper where they are assigned a character from that era, Revolutionary War era. And then they dress up as that character and we have a ball. We dance the minuet. We eat colonial food on real China because there was no plasticware in 1776. Uh, it's a grand time and we love it. It's, it's one of the best things. It's a good thing. I, and I know even, uh, even boys look forward mm-hmm. to it as the, even though there's dancing involved yes, in their middle yes. school. Yeah. They, it's a great step forward in their maturity. <laughs> right uh well super good anything else we should really know about what's happening in sixth grade history those are the highlights those are the highlights mrs wilsey you're doing a great job thank you and well done on the inaugural a good look at a great book all right all right thanks mrs wilsey well and now it's time for your favorite segment and mine it's the joke of the week Super funny sixth grader from the Bainbridge campus. This is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi. Hi. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I feel no pressure right now because I haven't heard your joke yet. So I'm anticipating good things from you. Why did Jesus not wear jewelry? Why did Jesus not wear jewelry? I don't know why. Because he breaks every chain. <laughs> because he breaks every chain. Hey, that's a good one. Where'd you learn that one? Um, Where'd you make it up? My parents. Your parents told you that one? That's pretty funny. Um, Well, see, and I often like to ask, have you told your dad and does he laugh? But if dad told you, then he must think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Uh, Tell me something that you're learning in school right now that you like. 
Um, in life science, we're learning about bones and our skeleton. Nice. What should I know about our skeleton? Give me, give me a fact that I probably don't know. Um, that marrow makes blood cells. Marrow makes blood cells? Yeah. All right. You're right. I did not know that. That's good. Who teaches your science course? Mr. Ferris. Mr. Ferris. He's a good teacher. Yeah. And we're going to dissect uh, frogs and a uh, lamb heart. Nice. Have you ever dis dissected anything like that before? No. Yeah. Well, you're in for a real treat then. That's going to be that's gonna be a lot of fun. You already bought them. <laughs> Did you already buy them? Oh, well, you're going to have fun. Sometimes it gets a little smelly. Yeah. The frogs are huge. They're in the bag already. <laughs> that's so fun. All right. Well, hey, come and tell me when it's that day so I can come in and see you doing it, okay? Okay. All right, Elizabeth, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, as I said at uh, the outset of today's program, we are happy to welcome Davies Owens onto the Griffin Rundown today. Davies Owens has a long history in classical Christian education. He was the head of school of two different classical Christian schools uh, for a, a total of about two decades, one in Georgia and, and one in Idaho. Um, he has also for several years been the executive director of the Society for Classical Learning. He has recently transitioned out of that role um, and uh, he's doing much more with his uh, ever-increasing and successful podcast called Basecamp live. So I'm hoping many of you will recognize Davey's voice because that means you've listened to his work on Basecamp Live. And he's been podcasting on Basecamp Live for, I think, six years or so. So he is a vet. And um, so just so thankful for his wisdom, his contribution to classical Christian education. And uh, he also did his PhD work in technology once upon a time. And so today we're going to have a strong emphasis on uh, technology and, and how it ought to be used in classical Christian schools. And, and he's got uh, wisdom and tips for parents, for us, and how to treat technology with our kids and, and best practices. So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Davies Owens to the Griffin Rundown. All right. Well, Davies Owens, welcome to the Griffin Rundown. Thanks for joining us. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Well, hey, Davies, would you just tell me tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I think some families probably know who you are and, and we'll see if they figure it out before we tell them. Um, but tell <laughs> us a little bit about yourself, um, where you live, your family, what yeah. you do. Yeah. So I am uh, a native out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm now living out in Boise, Idaho, and I've got three children. They are, uh, they've all grown. I'm officially empty nesting. My wife, Holly and I are, I've been married 32 years. I cannot believe take a lot of pictures. Yeah. The kids grow up fast. Um, all of my three, my oldest is a daughter, Hannah, and then I've got middle son, Liam, and youngest, Bennett. Um, they are uh, all K-12 classical Christian school grads. So I always like to say I used to stand up at open houses and talk about the wonders of classical education. And my oldest was in third grade, kind of wondering if it was really as good as I said it was. I can officially vouch for anybody who's curious now. It is absolutely the best decision you'll ever make is to put your children into a classical Christian school community. So big fan of that. I was um, kind of interesting journey into the world of classical Christian ed. Like a lot of folks did not grow up that way. I was a public school, private prep school guy out of Atlanta and uh, went into local church ministry for about a decade and uh, suburban church and urban church. And the whole time I'm thinking I am struggling with how do you do ministry in a world where folks are only in the building for a couple hours a week and ended up 
doing a doctoral dissertation on using internet-based technology to build community back in the day and worked for Christianity.com. And we tried to, you know, bring the website world alive to churches and kind of long, crazy story ended up back in Atlanta. And I was on the board of my daughter's classical Christian school. And then I became interim and then I became head of school. And I realized this is by far the most significant way to shape the next generation over those 16,000 hours. So I've never looked back and I'm uh, leaning in more than ever right now to helping schools communicate really with our parent generation. Seven years ago began the Basecamp Live podcast back when people thought podcasting was a gardening term, like casting pods. <laughs> no joke. People actually wonder that. Oh, and, uh, you know, how do we, so kind of, you know, how do we come alongside the typical parent, uh, especially the millennial Gen Z generation that's showing up now that probably wasn't classically trained and is curious about things like uniforms and why we teach Latin and trying to help make that explainable and understandable in a in an easy way and then doing it in the on the go format of the podcast. So it's been a, it's been a wonderful blessing to been at this now for two decades and more excited than ever about classical Christian education. Mm. Well, yeah, a few things you said. Thanks for sharing. A few things you said, you know, got me thinking. One is be careful if you end up on a board somewhere because it just you <laughs> might find yourself running the organization at some point in time. Been known to happen, yes. Yeah, a time or two. And then okay, you told us, uh, would you give a shameless plug for Basecamp Live and uh, yeah. hopefully people understand why they might recognize your voice now? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. So Basecamp Live is, a, again, seventh year about 300 episodes, the, you know, we don't sell climbing gear as it may appear. Basecamp Live is just an analogy if you're trying to raise the next generation as a parent or as an educator to what can feel like the top of Mount Everest along the way, you need to stop at these weekly base camps, these podcasts where you get encouragement. We talk about everything from best practices in parenting with folks like Keith McCurdy to kind of classical 101. Let's unpack this idea of the great books or uniforms. And we also look at what's happening in the culture because we've got to kind of keep our eye to the world that our, our uh, children are growing up into and what do we need to do to pivot as it may be to um, prepare them well for what's outside our doors. So I love the conversations and yeah, I would love anybody basecamplive.com or go to your favorite podcast player and you'll find us in there. There we go. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I've, I've actually, I caught, I think two catching up on some of them recently. I caught a couple this weekend, one where you were interviewing your daughter who went all the way through, yeah. as, as you just shared about through uh, K through 12 and then some in classical Christian education. And, and I think uh, there were, I, I don't remember her name, a gal who's uh, the head of school in a, mm-hmm. in a uh, co-op school. Yeah. Mandy Moore. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, out in Oregon somewhere. It's good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, one of the, my top 10 ever was the one I did conversations with my son, my middle son, who's a senior at Baylor, Baylor this year. I don't know if people are just curious, like, did your own kids work out okay in this classical thing? Um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they did very well. And it's also quite interesting to hear their perspective and say, hey, here's honestly what I loved about my education. Here's some things that mm. honestly were challenging. And maybe, you know, school leaders might want to think about, especially handing off students to 13th grade and beyond in the world that's changing so rapidly and what does that look like so it those ended up being helpful to me as well just reflecting on both the education and the impact uh as our as our children move out into the world so i would yeah. definitely encourage folks to listen yeah boy and that one obviously rang true just for me in in you know the seat that i sit in and my oldest is a freshman here at heritage and she's been here since she was a kindergartner so it was you know i feel like <clears throat> a little bit of a time warp or uh 
a future time warp of hearing your story of your daughter and being thankful for what she received and, and probably getting something very similar to what my daughter's getting right now near the front end of a, a growing school and near the tip of the spear, just in terms of one of the oldest grades as the school's expanding. Right. Yep. yep. It's, it's a, it's a blessing to see our children get to experience that. And it can be tough to be the, used to call them, you know, pastor's kids, I guess it's head's kids uh, <laughs> who <laughs> live in that, in the shadow of the, of the administrator, but it's actually quite a blessing too. So that's right. Well, Davies, you shared a little bit of uh, your background in, in the tech world and dissertation and all those things. Would you just share a little bit of uh, how you landed on this path, uh, this passion and um, what you're, you started to state it a little bit, but what are you really hoping to do with Basecamp Live, and and what are you hoping? What are you hoping parents um, come to know? What are you hoping yeah. to help classical Christian schools do through your work that you've given yourself to? Yeah, great question. Well, I you know I think at the end of the as I began by saying I I honestly believe that this is the last best hope, um, and I say that a little bit provocatively in terms of. We look around, it's easy to see, read the, read the daily headlines. You get discouraged pretty quickly and you think, oh my goodness, my kids are growing up in this crazy world. I think the last best hope is if if schools partner with homes and churches, we can, we can stand against a lot of the challenges that are around us. And more than that, we can raise up a generation that truly knows how to think well and articulate well and is really prepared for adapting to whatever is outside our doors. And so I'm just more concerned, I, I guess I'll use that term in terms of having been two decades as a school administrator in classical Christian schools. You know, we often use the phrase in loco parentis that we as schools are under the authority of the parent, meaning that biblically it's it's our it's the parent's job. And we live in an age where I think it's easy to maybe assume we we can outsource our kids to the school. We drop our dry cleaning off to be clean. We drop our car off or the oil change. We'll drop our kid off for the education. It's like, well, hold on a minute. So my passion is, look, this is the most important work we can be doing, and we really need our families to understand what role they have to play in all those hours after school is over. And honestly, it's hard for schools just with the real work every day that happens of figuring out curriculum and managing everything to also be thinking about how do we calibrate and invite parents into a deeper partnership and a deeper understanding. So that's my big passion. That's what started the Basecamp world seven years ago. I'm doing a lot of speaking and writing. And partnering with folks like Keith McCurdy to just like, let's help millennial Gen Z families in particular, really all of us, but the new families that are showing up who are in many cases saying, Hey, I'm not even sure how to parent. I was, it's, you know, you look around there's statistics like Pew has done research that said that only 30% of millennial Gen Z parents live within a 100 mile radius of their extended family. So the generational wisdom that was assumed even a decade or two ago is not there. there and, and even more so as I've done focus groups with school uh, parents around the country, you know, recently a, a mom in Atlanta said it's a cacophony of competing information on how to parent. Like we don't even realize, realize for sure how to parent. And, you know, YouTube's probably not a really good place to go. And the church isn't really providing that kind of training. So I think more and more success in a classical Christian school is going to require uh, the parents to both catch the vision, not just the education, but just how do we create home environments and habits that really complement what's going on during the school day. So we have this loudest voice is not a, a screen. It becomes what we're forming, uh, the true good and beautiful that we really want our students to know and understand. So that's that's a lot of what drives my wake up in the morning excitement. 
Well, and yeah, I love that. And you, you know, I've listened to you often enough, Davies, where you talk about the 301 problem or the 301 consideration. Would you, and I just think that's a really, really clear, concise way to to talk about it and, and maybe what so many Christian schools, classical Christian schools are seeing. Would you frame that for us? Yeah. I, I think it's really helpful for us to remember. Well, the idea of 301 is, again, assuming that a school day is roughly, whatever, 745 to, let's say, 3, which means that for the most part, we we control that culture pretty well. We we know that, you know, most of the time schools are pretty good. They should be at least about not having technology, no smartphones in the classrooms, all that kind of stuff. But at 301, um, you know, our, our children are on their own and, you know, they grab their phones out of their lockers. They're off to go do their thing. And the rest of the hours of the afternoon and evening can be a tremendous uh, counter narrative if we're not careful. And again, I don't think this was the case five, 10 years ago. It has become the case where even in that conversation I had with my son, he talked about this to some extent, just this sort of bifurcation of culture where it, students will actually very genuinely participate in classical Christian culture and uniforms and expectations and all that, and then be very pulled into something so different and opposite in the afternoon and evenings. And so I think, you know, whether we intended to get into the world of the 301, certainly that's where our parents live to the comments I was just making. But I think as schools, we need to, how can we help families create healthier home environments and, and understand more soberly what this technology is doing? And we can talk more about this in a second, but it's a, it's a very, very significant problem. And I, I think of a dad in my school in Atlanta years ago who said, well, I got my daughter a smartphone, you know, cause I had to pick her up after ballet. And then I realized I'd given her a snake in a box. I thought, boy, that's a great, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was just trying to solve a problem so he could pick her up and we can talk about, I have better ideas on how to solve that problem. So you can communicate, but not give them a snake. We can talk about it, but um, yeah, it's a 301 problem is a real deal. And I think we need to wake up to that challenge. And I think it's yeah. especially difficult when we as parents are probably as uh, addicted and as consumed and all of that as our students are. So it's kind of hard to see our way through the fog sometimes. Yeah. And that's true. Even if we give our kids uh, cell phones at whatever age and, um, and say, don't do this, there more is going to be caught than taught in that moment. And if, if dad has his, I'm speaking of myself, if dad has his nose in the phone for an hour every night, instead of being with the kids, uh, I think they're going to catch on to that and, and be the same kind of person. So, um, you know, and as much of all this, and uh, this is just good for me to hear too, of like, my kids are going to become like me, right? Yeah. And what yep. a model. Yep. Yeah, that's very true. Apple does not fall far from the tree. And that's exactly right. And that's, to me, it's just, there's nothing more sad than going out to most, I mean, we all see it go out to any restaurant these days and look around at the families and you're going to see a glowing rectangle at almost every table. And then the real tragedies when you've got those, you know, children sitting there, they're staring at, I mean, the parents will bring full headphones and an iPad and, you know, hook them up to the IV while they have dinner. I'm like, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm old fashioned, but my wife and I used to take like a bag of Legos and drawing some things. Restaurants used to provide crayons. Like there are ways to actually have life without the screen, right. but we, it's become so normative. And like one 32 year old young dad, I've been mentoring recently as a four-year-old and he just genuinely, I mean, believer, he just, you know, good, good guy. He just said, you know, we've have an iPad for our kids, but you know, we only show them really good content. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you have to understand. I mean, again, I, I don't mean it judgmentally, but 
please, please, you know, do some research on this. I mean, there's so much out there right now that just says you've got to, you know, it really, it really rewires our sensibilities. Marshall McLuhan mm -hmm. in the 1960s wrote uh, an article in which he talked about the medium is the message. This was in the 60s. Mm -hmm. So those mediums are going to rewire us. And if you're used to bright flickering things and you come into a classical Christian school and you're asked to stare at a book without pictures and have a conversation, it really does create perceived attention deficit issues. My, my you know, friend, colleague, uh, Keith McCurdy, on another podcast I'll promote uh, where we talked about baselining, he said 98% of the teens and young folks that come, that are brought to him presumably to be put on some kind of medication because of assumptions about AD and ADD and all of that. Mm. Um, uh, he, within 90 days of doing a baselining where it's basically, we're going to, I want you to have no phones. I want you to, you sleep at night. There's another problem. I want you to eat something other than a pop tart. Cause most kids don't even eat well. <laughs> and I want you to actually, uh, not sign up for three travel sports. Like maybe just have some imaginative yeah. time at home, find balance in your home. 98% of those uh, folks are brought in are fine. They didn't need the medication. So there wow. is a, a catastrophic moment we're in where there is so much d digital distraction and it's easy to justify it. Um, and yet it's probably undermining everything you hope your classical Christian school is doing for you. That's right. And, and for, you know, Davies, you, you said you've got the three kids that are largely grown now and I've got the four and, and, you know, a little bit different phase of life. My youngest is in kindergarten, but uh, I can imagine parents listening to this that are maybe more in, in my boat or maybe even a little bit younger than me and, and saying, uh, yeah, but uh, the, the horse is already out of the barn as it were. <laughs> and it's really hard to, to bring it back in right now. What would you say for, for some of those parents who, you know, who are just, their kids are already used to, uh, I'm in the car, it's a long ride, which might only be like a half an hour, but, um, they're so used to me just passing them the iPad or the phone or yeah. what have you. What encouragement would you give to those parents? Yeah, I mean, do, well, I think, first of all, it starts with, as we, we said a moment ago, it really starts with us. I mean, I think we have to actually believe there is some danger here. If it's just sort of a token, you know, we know young kids should have less screen time and it, we don't really see the, the degree of the problem. And, you know, I would recommend as we answer the question, I mean, there's so much out there. Um, you know, years ago, um, Todd Oppenheimer wrote a book called The Flickering Mind, which was a fascinating look at just the way that education was, um, you know, convinced, you know, subtitle Saving Education from the False Promises of Technology. And this is like all of Apple and everybody going into the school districts and saying everyone needs this to be ready for a, you know, a STEM world or whatever the arguments were. Right. But then, you you know, there's the, Mark Bounderland wrote a book, The Dumbest Generation, How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans. So <laughs> Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, he had written an article in the Atlantic Monthly called, um, Is Google Making Us Stupid? So there's so much evidence that suggests this is really, it is a snake in a box. So therefore, if you've already done it, first of all, it it's not too late. Our children, the beautiful thing is we're all creatures of habit. So you start shifting those habits and you know, you right. don't want to do it all the very minute you get off the podcast here, but you might want to think about, I mean, some best practices and a lot of best practices, by the way, are, you know, Andy Crouch, the TechWise family, that book has been very well received by many people just mm -hmm. saying, Hey, technology should not replace family time. Like, you know, what is it? <laughs> these thing called, these things called board games that are not boring <laughs> that you, know, you might want to dig off, dust off by the way, over the, over Christmas break, my, uh, you know, 
married daughter and two college sons are all we're all playing ticket to ride. I don't know if you ever played that game. Like, there's there's <laughs> so many. Favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are not, you know, it didn't have to be Monopoly. There's, you know, when the last time you went bowling. So find actual compelling family time and have tech free zones. I mean, this, you've heard these ideas. It's an Andy Crouch idea. I mean, have a basket, have meals together where the technology is mm -hmm. not there. You know, think in advance. Car times can be times for questions and discussions. Um, you know, but I think, I think just beginning to move and maybe it's just, you know, have one hour of, you know, an afternoon where like, Hey, everyone we're screen free right now. And for, you know, and then you repurpose that time for goodness sakes, don't have any technology in bedrooms. I mean, these are things that I think we can do, even if we've slipped, kind of come back around and say, okay, we're going to, you know, mm. and, and I would lead this again, we could talk for another hour about this, but I always say it's the Nancy Reagan problem. Folks older like me may remember back in the day, she had this campaign uh, just say no to drugs. And it was like, just say no, just say no. And it's like, well, Nancy, what do we say yes to? So what would it look like to create an ambitious vision of, of the good life for our families where we're not just saying no, cause we are, you know, Debbie Downer about, you know, we're Luddites or whatever. We, we really do want to have a, a rich home life and we want to have a rich flourishing life ultimately. Um, so I think that, you know, I think we just have to realize that what we're up against. Um, I don't know if you saw, just I, it hit me watching the Super Bowl. You know, we all love to watch the commercials and Microsoft ha has just come out with this thing called Copilot. And this is incredibly disturbing to me because it just reiterates, if you if we think the smartphones are are gonna be addictive and compelling, what's coming now is, you know, Apple's just come out with this whole head headset thing you can wear mm -hmm. around like all the time. Like I can't wait to see the, how that's going to work out um, because we're going to see people walking down the sidewalk inside of a virtual world co-pilot according this is entering according to microsoft is their sub tag is your everyday AI, ai companion and then if you watch this little ad um it's really again very telling of the cultural moment people there are about four or five snapshots of people they all look frazzled they all look depressed and then these words typed on the screen like you know they say i will never and then it's like own my business they say i will never get a degree uh, or they say i will yes. never make a movie or even the funny one they say i will never build something and then the answer then is this ai companion is now going to and it actually said this you know the, the, on the screen the ai then comes in and says you know can i help can i help you or you know yeah no you you're to ask your ai can, can you help me and then it says, yes, I can help you. And now you're going to go do all these things because it's going to do it for you. So again, we're just creating a yeah. bunch of tethered people that have no ability to live boldly outside of their screen or their things strapped to their face. So I think we've got to be aware that's our setting that we're raising up a generation in, and, and be bold about the positive options that we do have. That's right. George Orwell is uh, all too... Um... Uh, on point in this discussion, unfortunately. Yes. It's, it's like we're living it. Yeah, we are living it. And we'll pick up again next week for more uh, tips and best practices for us as parents as we consider technology and our children. Thank you for listening to the Griffin Rundown. As always, it is a pleasure to partner with you to cultivate our children to be lifelong learners who think and live for Christ. We'll be back again next Tuesday. <laughs>